I'm really excited. Um, last Monday, we were asking people to come in with their commitments, and you know, just like our culture, we show up five minutes late or ten minutes late, and so also our commitments. And I know there's a number of people who are still praying and, and giving, but just here's what you need to know. We, you know, we were hoping to get about $3.4 million. Or, $3.8 was a goal, but we can do it at about 3.3. I don't want to get this too confusing for you, but we are currently with about a third of the people um, sharing their gifts. We're at 2.1. And so if um, God leads in your heart, and that's what we're praying. I guess our prayer is that everyone will be all in at, at some level that God leads them. And so we've got kind of a few weeks. We'd love for you to and be a participant in that if God is leading you in that way. If you're new, we're excited because we are excited about doing some revisioning and refreshing of this area here as well as what we'll be doing as a multi-use facility and what that means for us for our kids' ministry. So thank you for being a part of that and for sharing. So let's pray. Father, what a wonderful opportunity, beautiful day. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for the opportunity to stop and to, to worship and, and reflect on you. Thank you that we live in a country where we can pause and do this without any fear. Thank you for the freedom that we enjoy. Thank you, God, for this moment. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So if you grab a pen and paper right now. We're going to take a pop quiz, okay? How's that sound to you? Like that idea? Oh, some of you are going, oh, that reminds me of, no, I, one question, one question, pop quiz, and, and I want you to answer true or false. Here's the, here's the statement, true or false. It is impossible to have joy without peace. Think about it. It is impossible to have joy without peace, or if you want to put it in other words, no peace, no joy. Now, think about that for a second. If you think it's true, what would you need to kind of say why you think it's true, and if you think it's false, it would be nice to know why. And if you um, are here with someone that you feel comfortable with, would you turn and take just a moment to share what you think about that? If you don't want to, or you're sitting alone, just you know, kind of go like this, and everyone will leave you alone, and do it with your thoughts. But would you take a moment, just turn and just share with someone what you think about that statement, true or false? Yeah, you can turn around and look at someone. They might get nervous, but... <clears throat> Okay, quiz is over. Turn your papers down. What do you think the answer is? Yeah, well, I'm going to let you wrestle with that. I'm just going to share with you some of the things that the Word of God has to say. Okay? Basically, we've been saying throughout different times in the last year or so, we've been talking about how incredibly close both joy and gratefulness are. You will find they're like identical twins. They're, they're, on, they're two sides of the coin. If you find joy, you're going to find thanksgiving. Thanksgiving often causes joy, and joy causes thanksgiving. It goes back and forth. And, and when people say to me, choose joy, for me, I have to choose joy by becoming thankful. Now, when it comes to joy and peace, you'll find that the Word of God puts those together often. Now, I don't think they're identical twins, but they're not even cousins. They're not even like step-siblings. They actually come from the same parent. They're like blood-related brother or sister. They're that close to each other. There is a sense that joy and peace are found together. Whether they cause what happens there, there is something about the fact that when you see one, you find the other. 
And we'll find it as we go through this scripture because we're going to be talking today about peace. We talked last week about joy. And we're talking about what it means to be a good neighbor. Paul summarizes a couple of pages of teaching by quoting Leviticus 19.18. And he says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled. It's completed. It seems to have been done in keeping this one command. Now, now Paul's gone from, from the two commands that Jesus talked about. He's talking now about one. It seems that the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. What a radical thing would happen if we began to love our neighbors in the same way that we're constantly thinking about ourselves and thinking about our own needs. What if we began to somehow turn that externally? What if God somehow is able to do that in our hearts? But in a very healthy sense, we're aware of our needs, but they don't seem to be the focus of our life. We really have a focus on God and life and its balance in such a way that you're able to truly love others. And so Paul, in Galatians, what he says here in the scripture is he said the way that you begin to do this, if you want to learn to love, in fact, have the fruit of the spirit of love, which expresses itself with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, he says what you need to do is start paying attention to your desires. He actually calls them evil desires. Scripture at times will talk about desires that come from our flesh. You go, what does that mean? If you don't know much about the Bible, the idea of flesh is just this idea. It's what comes natural to you. Those desires that are kind of coming out of our our heart that are, are tainted by our selfishness and our sin and they're reactive and they don't take a lot of work. When someone says something and they put you down, you just automatically want to do what? Or someone cuts you off in traffic, your immediate response is to go, oh, bless you, right? No. And we can't control the emotion that comes up that drives us to do things. But what Paul says, if you pay attention to those reactive desires that come up, become aware of them. And as you become aware of them and grow in this, you begin to be placed in such a way that if you've opened your heart to God and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be someone who who lives in the way of Jesus, which is, in fact, in the book of Acts, they were often called people the way. And the reason they were called people the way is because they would say, oh, they live the way Jesus lived. And if that's your heart, what happens is when you open your heart and you recognize your need of him and your sin and you ask Jesus to begin to, to create in you this new person with this new character, he deposits your whole, the Holy Spirit into your, into your heart, into your life. So that when you have those reactive tendencies, the Holy Spirit's going to be going, hey, don't do that. And now you have a new desire that's in your heart. It is from within that begins to speak to you that you should say yes to. And when you say yes to that response that comes from awareness, God begins to change you from the inside out. So, all that to say, Paul leads us to that point. And he says the fruit of love is expressed in these different ways. And it's choice by choice by choice by choice that the character of Jesus develops this kind of fruit that is the fruit that was evident in the life of Jesus. So let's stand together, would you? And we're going to say this verse that we're going to be looking at over the next six weeks. I won't be with you, but I will be with you in spirit and praying for you because I just pray this becomes a part of who you are and a part of who we are. Let's say this verse together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's do it again. That, not, we don't have to leave just that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace.
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's Thank you. You may be seated. I, I pray that you might take time to write that on a card and memorize it. The whole idea against there is such thing, there's no law or Jewish laws. The whole idea, again, is when you have the operation of the Spirit of God in your life and, and, and you begin to live by the Spirit, you don't need external laws, right? You don't, you don't need laws to tell you to do things that were really common sense good for others. When you, when you operate out of love in your heart, you begin to, you know, you don't, like I said maybe last week, you don't go 150 miles down the road, right, in a car. Because you just know you're going to get out of control and your car probably can't do it anyway. But anyway, well, some of you, I've seen your cars. Um, because you do it because you're motivated by, by love, which is in your heart. And so he says, the fruit is love, which I believe he's saying is expressed in joy and peace and goes on. And you see how joy is first... Because I think God is just full of joy. Jesus is full of joy. We talked about that last week. And then he says peace. The Greek word peace is irene. And it, 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 we get the name Irene from that. Anybody have the name Irene or in the middle name there? That's exactly why we have no peace amidst us here. Is, um, <laughs> I knew it. We have to pray for irenate peace to be in our midst. But anyway, the Strong's Concordance um, defines peace as, as the idea of to join together in a whole, wholeness. It means that everything's operating um, without any confliction, any strife, and it's, there's a sense that it's operating um, in harmony together. And in the Concordance of Strong's, he gives you four ways that it's found often in Scripture. This word irene, which means wholeness or peace. He talks about, and you'll see it in scripture, it talks about national tranquility. They'll talk about the, the kind of peace that comes over a nation where, where there is a, a nation that's free of rage and, and the havoc of war. It, it, the nation's living in peace. Or they talk about relational harmony in scripture. There's a unity between people such that between individual relationships there's a peace, there's no strife, there's no... Um, uh, things be, are harmoniously beginning to work together. And then he gives another example of how peace is used often in the Word of God, and it talks about a soul that's at rest. Ever been around someone, a soul that is at rest? It, it's, it's this idea that um, through a, and often it's used this way in Scripture, through salvation, through the work of Jesus Christ, not your own work, but the work that he does and the love that he has for you, you come to an understanding that he has forgiven you and that he has given you his life and his, his desire to watch over you. And you walk through life in a way where you just have a restful soul. God's not out to get me. In fact, more than that, God's out to help me in every way. And you have this sense of a restful soul that um, is in touch with God. And then there's the fourth way it's used, and it's talked about, um, and I'll, this is the way he says it, the blessed state of the righteous after death. That upon this life, those who know Christ and who are walking and living with him move right into a whole new relationship where they enter a, a place of, of rest. Now, for some of you, the idea of eternal rest is your favorite thought, Right? 
for me, it makes me nervous. Um, I, I like to go and be busy. And, and in fact, one of the books someone had given me is called Addicted to Busy. And I don't know why they gave that to me before I went on this thing. But So, so we're, we're going to talk about three things today. And, and that's the word of God tells us where to live in peace. And as we kind of see what Jesus has to say, we're going to see that he says where to choose peace. And then it talks about we are to, he actually says we're to promote peace. We're to be peace promoters in our life. See, God's desire is just like you as a parent, as a father. You, you want your kids to experience the goodness and wholeness of life. You don't want them being worried. You don't want them kind of concerned. The reason that the child can play and, 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 and have, enjoy their life is because they know that, that mom and dad are near to take care of them. In fact, there's a whole thing in psychology and in therapy and different things like that that has been studied over the last 20, 30 years. They've done all kinds of tests around attachment theory. This idea that, that you, know, you have a parent, and if you don't have attached well to a parent and understand their love and their care, that you, you have a kind of a, you, it really cripples you in life. And they've done these studies that little children, they'll put them in a room, and then when the parent leaves the room, and you don't really need to do a study for this. How many of you put your kids in, in a nursery at one point? And you leave, and they cry bloody murder. Because that's attachment theory working. They feel at peace... Often a little one doesn't even have to be looking at you. They just, if they know you're in the room, right? They're aware you're in the room. They can play and they can begin to enjoy life. Well, well God through Christ modeled for us, Jesus did this life where he was living in a sense that the Father, that's why he says our Father who's in the heavens, we think of the heavens being way out there. In, in Scripture, they talk about three different heavens. In the, in, in what, you, what Jesus seems to say all the time is the kingdom of God is present right here in the heavens around us. And there's like this third heaven, and then there's a second heaven. It, a lot of us live within the heavens. That's the earth and, and everything happening in our life. Like we live with this big dome, and God is somehow shut out of it. He's not attached to us. And so Paul says in Romans 14, 7, he says, guys, you got to get this. you got to understand this, that God desires for you to live in peace. The whole purpose of living under his kingdom, in living under his rule, in, in knowing that his presence is there, is that you can be attached to his love and never have to be a slave to fear. He says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. Now, he's really basically saying what Jesus has said many times before. He's specifically, in a certain context, talking about the way that they're um, at war with one another. But what he's talking about here is this, that, the, that life, folks, does not consist of things. Life at its deepest level is being attached to God, knowing he loves you and he cares for you, and he's going to walk for you, with you and provide for you, and he wants you to relax, and he wants you actually almost to play in this life. Like a kid who knows that their father loves them. You think about it. You can have all the riches in the world. You can be incredibly popular and famous. You can actually, you know, think about your job. You can have the, the highest, most important position at work. But if you don't have peace, you don't have anything. Right? You just think about it. You can have it all, the world. But if you don't have peace in your heart, it's not about food and drink and about stuff, he says. 
In fact, the, the whole idea so often in our life is, is we start climbing the ladder, and as we climb the ladder of success, and we have more pressures and more things, and we accumulate, you know, we get a house, and then we accumulate stuff to put in the house, right? And you get more and more stuff, and then eventually you get to, like, my age, and you're sitting around, and you're starting to ask yourself, how do we get rid of some of this stuff? And I'm horrible at that. My wife's wonderful at that, and at times is annoying with me at that. Anyway... I remember a few years ago going to my parents' place, and they had been downsizing from one place to the other and moving into an assisted living, and they had the, you know how you downsize so you finally have the stuff that's the most important stuff? It's the most precious stuff. And they had a room full of stuff, and my dad's there, and all of us were walking away with about three or four things, and you saw his face just kind of crestfallen. Like, this stuff wasn't really that important. To us and you get this concept of if Paul saying guys it's not about stuff it's really interesting is that um, you go on and, and he says in Romans 15 13 may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit you see the joy and peace here together the idea being that joy and peace will fill you because you're living with this God of hope who's present, who's going to take care of you. You're just kind of confident going, you know what? I'm going through a tough time or this is going on, but God's going to care for me. He's, he, he told me so. I'm not going to be like a little child. Attachment theory for me means I'm going to start to trust in this God who will, as I hope in him, fill me with power to live what he wants me to live in this life. In Romans 15, Paul comes to the end of his letter. Or you think it is. Paul's one of these, he's like one of these preachers who, you know, you, you, you get to the point and they give you a point and then they say, and one more point. Well, he's getting to the end of his letter and he goes, the God of peace be with you all. And you think it's going to end, but he goes on for a little bit and I'm really glad he did. Because in chapter 16, verse 20, when he gets right to the end of his letter, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. There will, there will come a time when the clouds will be rolled away like a scroll and we will see and we will understand and we will know that this God has been with us at all times even when we were afraid. And what I love about Jesus is here's this guy who lives his life and we're told that he doesn't have a place even to lay his head. The most precious thing you think he has is, is really this, this, this tunic, this, one, this kind of robe that he has that is not... It wasn't sewn together in a bunch of pieces. It was a very expensive one-piece robe that someone wealthy must have given him out of, out of their love for him. And he wore that with pride and joy, I think. And on the cross, when he has got all his garments taken from him, it says the soldiers took this and it was so precious and it was so treasured, they chose not to tear it up, but they chose to give it as one garment and to throw dice for it. And you know what? That still wasn't the most precious possession that Jesus had. Because when you read what Jesus gives away as one of his most precious possessions. John chapter 14, 27. He's about, a, 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 you know, within the day of, 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 of um, and, or within that week of, of going to the cross and to his death. And he's talking to his disciples. And at one point he turns to them and he says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. So not only is the kingdom not about stuff, but it's about the peace that we're to live under the rule of God. And Jesus wants you and me to live in that. In fact, what he says is, peace, I leave with you. Here's my most 
precious possession. You know why we know that? I think the King James Version uses the word peace I bequeath to you. And the idea of bequeathing something is the idea of dispossessing one's personal property, handing it down, passing it on. It's what you do to the people you love the most. You give them what is most precious. And he stands before his disciples, his followers, and he says, I want you right now. I don't want you. I'm not giving you my robe. I don't have anything else. What I have to give to you, and I want you to know that you can have all your life, every moment, every day through your life, I give you peace. I I bequeath to you the ability to live your life in peace. I don't give as the world gives, he says. it's, It's not the way the world does it, which is external and it's outside. I'm giving you something that will grow in your heart if you understand that one of the things I want you to do is to grow in this peace. So that Jesus was the one who would say this. He looked at a bunch of people when they were all filled with fear and they were lacking peace. Remember Matthew 6? I'm going to read it from the message. Jesus says, my advice would not be my advice would be not to worry about what is going to happen to you. This is the way Jesus wants you to live. About what will, you will eat or drink, or about what clothes you will wear. Your life doesn't consist of eating, and there is much more to your body than clothing. Take a lesson from the birds. Look at the little flowers along the roadside. If you If God feeds the birds and God adorns the flowers, as you walk out today and you see this thing, won't he take care of you. So don't worry about things, what to eat, drink, or wear. People who don't know God at all do that. Isn't that interesting kind of telling? People who, who don't know God, um, people who don't know God at all do that. For your Father, the one who in the heavens is all around you, knows you need these things. Instead, make it your top priority to be a part of what God is doing and to have the kind of goodness he has, and everything else will be provided. His idea is seek first his kingdom and all these other things. They trail along. So grab peace, he says. Dallas Willard, in a book called Divine Conspiracy, says this bold and slyly humorous assurance about the basic elements of our existence can only be supported through a clear-eyed vision that a totally good and competent God is right here with us to look after us. That's why Jesus would so often say the kingdom of God is here. It's available if you want to live in it. There's this great reservoir of peace available for you every day, every moment. Nothing, no human being or institution, no space, no spiritual being, no event, nothing stands between God and those who trust him. Now, I just want to tell you that I know I live this life just like you, and I've for some 50-some years now, I have to tell you, it, it is a struggle in my life to live in that place of peace. And you know what? Peace is not some emotion that you wait for it to happen. That's what Jesus seems to say here. Peace is something that he has ready to give you to insert and deposit through the Holy Spirit in your heart through that process of when you feel the peace being taken from you or you feel it being robbed or you feel it being stole. The Holy Spirit, if you listen, has the ability to say, hey, God's right here with you. You can hold on to your peace. 
You know why I say that? Because we are not only to live in peace, we have this resource and deposit, and Jesus gave it to us, bequeathed it to us. We also, when we read these words of Jesus, we are to choose peace. There's a part you have to play. This is probably is important when you read these next lines of this verse as the ones that are said before. I bequeath you this. This is available to you. Now here's your part. Listen to what Jesus says. Do not let your heart be troubled. Anybody got a troubled heart? And do not be afraid. Do not let your heart be troubled means do not allow it. Do not give way to the things that are happening externally because Jesus doesn't give it the way the world does. If you, if, you, if you want peace the way the world does, you have to wait till things get really good or you think they're going to get good so then now you emotionally feel good about it. Anybody live that way? I do. It, it's just it's the way we're wired. But what Jesus says is don't let your heart, don't allow, don't permit, don't let, don't let any person or circumstance or thought or fear rob, steal, or take what God has bequeathed to you through Jesus. And then he says do not be afraid. You know what you could put in there is do not live afraid. Do not live afraid. Dad or mom, they're right there. You may not see them right now in the circumstance. You may not see it with the way things seem to be lining up, but God's there. He's with you. And a little bit later, Jesus expands on this in chapter um, 16, verse 33. He says, haven't I told you? So now he kind of goes back. I gave you, I bequeathed you, I gave you this gift. The resource of peace is available. This is the kingdom you live in. In fact, and I love how Dallas Ward says it some, in one way. He says, he says, Jesus lived in such a way that he realized this world was a perfectly safe place to be because he knew his father was with him. And his father would only let, allow, happen to him what his father willed. And so he could live in this confidence. But Jesus says, you need to understand this. I've told you these things so that in me, that in me, in this relationship, knowing that I love you, in me, you have peace. But in this world, guess what? Here's the bad news. You're going to have trouble. You're going to walk out of here and there's going to be things that are going to come into your life that are going to try to steal that and rob that and take away that joy. But you, have a cho- you can decide right now, will I choose to stay in peace? Will I let anyone, you know, you, you know how it is. You go to work and someone's nasty and they're testy and, and, and you have a moment of choice. Will I let that person rob my peace or will I just hold my peace? It's just the way it happens. You can drive out of here and you're trying, anybody trying sometimes to drive out of here and people are flying by and you can lose your peace as soon as that person goes by and cuts you off, right? And, and, and that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, guess what, guys? You have a reservoir of peace. That's what, that's what Paul's saying in Galatians. You have, because of what Jesus has done, you can learn to love, you can grow in your character and becoming a loving person that expresses joy and that also is, is growing in peace and expresses peace wherever you go. And it's interesting to me. If you read these, um, these fruits of the Spirit, he starts with the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's, it's what God wants to produce in our hearts. Love your neighbor as yourself and you'll fulfill the whole law. He, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then I think if the way I read it is which, which is expressed in joy, peace, patience. And it ends on the other side of it with what? Self-control. Part of growing up and part of growing in our character is recognizing this truth. You can choose 
joy, peace, patience, I mean, kindness, good, you can choose, you can, and every time you exercise the Spirit of God through self-control, through your choice, it, it begins to develop that peace, and that peace gets expressed through love. That makes sense? Okay, so that's what Jesus seems to be saying here, and, and he, he wants us to know that that's something we can do, but he also wants us to know, he says, know this, that when you walk out of here, you'll be tested. Life is an opportunity for you to always see God at work in you through the things you're doing. So you're going to walk out of here and, and, and you're going to have an opportunity to see that fruit of peace squeezed. And we're going to see what's going to come out. And you're going to have an opportunity to either say, yes, I choose to take the resource of peace through the Holy Spirit and combine myself with the work of the Holy Spirit who then does something far greater than I could ever do in my own choice. And when it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your will, he's talking about you need to choose your will. And in a moment, we're going to talk about how you use your mind in this. But he's basically saying you need to choose. And the reason I know I can do this is because um, I can, and maybe you can relate to this. I remember when um, our, my, my dad and, uh, and, and my older brother and I and sister and my mom, we'd be driving to church, and, and we would be in this incredible fight. It was around the like junior high, maybe ninth grade years, and my brother two years older. And you know what the fight was about? It was about the length of my brother's hair. It had actually grown over his ears, God forbid, and it was like a, and it was like, I mean, I remember this for weeks. It was like a downright fight of whether he's going to get his hair cut. And I mean, it's a silly thing now, but when we'd get to church, guess what? Everyone, they'd get out of the car, and my mom would be smiling, and my dad would be smiling. The only one who wasn't was my brother. Anybody had that experience? You know how to choose any kind of, you know how to choose that, because we have that kind of choice, and what he's saying, when you begin to say, God, I believe you're here, I choose you to be here, I'm going to live in peace, even though I don't emotionally feel it right now, he begins to develop this in you, and so here's what I want you to understand, that the word of God seems to say, one of the biggest choices that we have is what we will do with our thoughts, will we take our will, trusting God, and with our thoughts, use our mind to Put ourselves at a place where we can begin to experience his peace. Isaiah 26.3. What will you do when you're tempted to worry? What will you do when anger flares up inside of you? What will you do when you hear bad news? It comes to the step, you know, your doorstep. Isaiah 26.3 says, let your peace um, rule you. And, and, and I wrote it this way. You're, you lose your peace when you let your thoughts run wild. That's my paraphrase. The NIV says, God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in him. I like the Living Bible says that he will keep in perfect peace those who trust in him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. Anybody want to hear the King James Version? Yeah, you know this one. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. He's the one who keeps you in perfect peace. Here's how it happens. When whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. See, it's not like the world says, you know, choose peace because you're just trying to choose. You're choosing peace because your mind is stayed on the fact that God is loving and good and caring and if he would send his son to die for you, you better believe it, he's going to be with you in this moment. Some of you need to hear that right now. You're in a place where your heart's troubled. 
You've made room in your heart for that, and you need to go and say, God, I'm going to put my mind on you. I'm going to begin to put my thoughts on you. And you can do that in all kinds of ways. You can do it by listening to good worship music. You can do it by reading God's word, by memorizing God's word. But what he says is when you let your, when you let your, your mind run wild, you're going to lose your peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is another one of these ones. He says, um, we allow worry when we actually could just pray. That's another way to deal with it. He says, don't, don't be anxious about anything. Isn't that a funny? What, what do you mean don't be anxious about anything? I, I'm not maybe going to have a paycheck next week. Or I got a bill coming up. But don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Psalm 31.15, I like this one, because we lose our peace when we take matters into our own hands, right? That's what David seems to indicate. He says, he says at one point, uh, my times are in your hands, you will deliver me. Now, you've got to put yourself in David's place. He was just a young kid, and, and Samuel the prophet comes to him and says, you're going to be king. And then he has this great rise of fame. He goes up, and he sees no one doing anything with Goliath, and he just you know, takes and he doesn't want to wear the king's armor, it's too bulky, and he just goes, you know, God, I can't stand that this guy is saying these things about your people, and no one's doing anything about it, so I'm going to go out there with a little sling and stone, and I'm going to let him have it, and God shows up in his act, and then he begins to really have a rise, and then the, then the king, Saul, turns against him, and for a number of years, he's on the run, wondering whether he will live, even though God said, hey, guess what, someday, David, you're going to be king, I bet you many times David is going, I've got to do something about it, but David live by this. He said, my times are in your hands. You're the one who's going to deliver me. And what we get in trouble is, anybody know, you ever get to that place where you try and figure out with your own mind? You're always, maybe you're in that place right now, trying to figure out what God's doing. And, and then you kind of go, well, I'll help him out here. Right? You know, they're, you know, they're not getting it. And so I'm going to, and, and he tells us that, it, he says, God has his, your times, they're in his hands. He knows when he's going to promote you. In fact, one other scripture says he will promote you in due time. And what he calls you to do is to trust him. It's keep your mind stayed on him and just do the best you can. And when it comes to a promotion at work, you can work hard, you can do all those things. But if you start in your flesh trying to do things to get this to happen and you manipulate, it's going to create more of a mess. Because what? Your times are in whose hands? God's. And so he calls us to say, hey, just back down, buddy. Live in peace. I've got your back. I love you. Doesn't mean you don't do your best. It doesn't mean that you show up and, 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 and have a lackadaisical attitude in any way. It means what you're going to do is keep your mind stayed on him. And when you stay your mind on him, you say, I trust you, God, because I understand that my times are in your hands, and you will deliver me when the time is right. There's another passage of Scripture that I, that I, that I like as well, and it's not so much, it can be kind of a, a form of this, but it's in Hebrews chapter um, 12, 11, and I kind of just put it this way. Um, don't get nervous in tough times. You know, God, what are you doing? You know what Hebrews says? He says, there's times that God, like a loving father, knows what you need to form in your character. So he knows what to do. And he'll even use people that you're going to go, I can't believe you'd use this person. 
And he, and he puts these people in your life because there may be something he's doing in your heart. And it's a form of what we don't like the word discipline. It's not punishment. The word discipline means it's a corrective thing that helps you become what he wants you to be. So he says no discipline in chapter 12 verse 11 of Hebrews seems pleasant at the time. Let's get real with it. No one likes it. It's not like, boy, this feels good. And when God puts you in the timeout chair for some reason... No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, listen to this, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You have, a, you have an opportunity to decide. God loves you. He's attached to you. He's given you his Holy Spirit if you've opened your heart to him. And he will begin to work in you. He has a reservoir of peace available. But like Jesus said, don't allow, don't let anyone come in and rob or steal or take from you what is yours. And the work becomes when you're tested. And the test is all about performing and producing this character that needs to be in our life if we're going to actually have an ability to speak about Jesus to other people. And I'll, I'll close with that in just a moment. And I just want to share with you one last thing. We're to promote peace. We're in this passage in John, and he, he says these things. And then it says that Jesus, he, he told us that he gave us peace because he was going to overcome the world. What does he mean by that? He, the idea there is that he said, you know what? The greatest fear that you have that robs your peace or your joy is the fear that you're going to die. And guess what? I'm going to actually take care of that one for you. None of us have to worry because for all of us, death is a birth process into something greater. Of course it's painful when we let go of people. I understand that. I know that in my life. But he says, I've overcome that. So he's overcome that and he shows up after the resurrection and he shows up on the evening of the first day, John 20, 19 and 21. And when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and here's what he said, peace be with you. Because they were locked in fear. There is that sense at times, and I love this, because you know what? We are so human. I'm so like that. There are times when I'm locked in fear, I'm doing it, and God just comes again. He says, guess what? I'm just showing up to you right now. You know what? You need to see me. Peace be with you. But what he goes on in the next passage of Scripture, you know what he says? He comes to Thomas, and Thomas needs to see his hand. He needs to touch everything. He needs visual presence of Jesus. And when he gets done, John writes, blessed are you who don't have this attachment theory problem, but you know God's with you even when you don't see it. You know that he's standing there saying, peace be with you. And then he, and then he concludes this word to promote peace because he says in John chapter 20, verse 21, that, that following verse, he, he looks at them and he says one more time, peace be with you. Now catch this, as the Father sent me to bring peace, I'm sending you. Every one of you are to go out. He says, I'm sending you. You are missionaries of peace. 
everywhere you go, you have the opportunity to continue to grow in this. And let me just share with you, we're going to fail, we all are going to fail, but the whole process of what we want to be as a church, what we want to be as individuals, are people that are, that are following the way of Jesus. And part of the way of Jesus is repentance and understanding that, but it's always getting back up again because there's never a failure. It means you can keep getting back up. And when you get back up, you say, you know what, today I'm going to choose peace. You know what, I blew it, but today I'm going to choose peace. I got locked in fear and Jesus had to come to me and said, peace be with you, but today I'm going to choose peace. I'm going to allow peace to begin to rule my heart. Listen to these words of Dallas Wood. I'll close with this. And I promise you, I won't have another point after this. This is it. Dallas Wood writes in his book, and his book is probably one of my, I think one of the best on what I would call apologetics or the defense of the faith. It's, it's a simple title called The Allure of Gentleness, Defending Faith in the Manner of Jesus. I love that. He says, um, Wood, he makes the point that one of the greatest defenses for following Jesus, the greatest ways for us to tell people about Jesus is how he, uh, our lives reveal his joint peace. That's your greatest defense. He comments on a couple of verses that are found in 1 Peter 3, verse 13 and 14. Peter writes, Even if you suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be intimidated. Don't live in fear. Don't be afraid. And the next few verses, um, Willard says, are the verses that, that talk about the fact that someone's going to come up to you and go, what's this hope in you? Now, here's what he says. It's out of the context of that passage in which people are suffering, and yet they're happy. They're not troubled. They're not fearful. They're filled with peace and joy. The equivalent in our day would be when people look at Christ followers and note their unfortunate situations saying things like, you're dying of cancer, which happened to Dallas Ward, and it was a very painful death for him, but he he, he had that peace and joy in him. He, you're dying of cancer, or, or you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, or you've done good and people are treating you badly, and you've tried to help people and, and they've they turned around and hurt you, or your children are being mistreated for unjust reasons. And then they followed up as they look at your life and they say, and you're still happy. The people in those situations are not going around weeping and saying, oh, why is this happening to me? But many in our church do, he says. Many people profess to be Christians when trouble comes and they say, oh, why is this happening to me? And he says, do you remember what James said to do when we encounter all kinds of trouble? He said, consider it nothing but joy. And he continues, if you do not exhibit the presence of a life that is above this world, something that is coming into you and giving you joy, peace, and strength in a situation that looks very bad from the outside, there isn't going to be anything for people to ask about. You're going to be behaving in the same way that unbelievers down the street behave. And then he goes on and he says, we need to live in this kind of time. We need the fruit of the Spirit to mature and to begin to grow in our hearts because it's that that causes people to look and just go, wow. And he says, remember Jesus said that People do not light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. He said you're like to be like a city set up on the hill. When, the, when those fruits begin to grow into you and your character becomes like that, you, you become like, he says, like a, a light on the top of a hill. And then he writes kind of snidely, have you ever thought about trying to hide a city set on a hill? Can you imagine being assigned the job of hiding San Francisco? 
Jesus is saying that when you are tied into the kingdom of heavens, there is going to be something so obviously different about you that people are going to think, what have you done? What have you got? What makes you so different? Father, thank you. We come before you, and we would ask that um, this great reservoir of peace that you have given to us, the truth that you are with us, we would in faith and trust believe and then choose to hold that peace and that we would promote that peace everywhere we go in Christ's name. Amen.